The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. There are no sins, so you can do whatever you want and just blame it on God. It's the radical appeal of that idea that's part of what's made the writings of Rabbi Mordechai Yosef Leiner, the, the Ishbitzer Rebbe, increasingly popular in recent decades. His book of commentary on the Torah, the Mea Shiloach, after being met at first with controversy and even book burnings, and then becoming slowly forgotten and long ignored, has since become one of the most widely read Hasidic texts from the 19th century. And this happened without legions of followers to promote it, and even though the Meyashilach's interpretations are sometimes obscure and inaccessible. There is this one idea, though, that keeps popping up in his writing, and it's for this idea that the Meyashilach is most famous. It's a startlingly simple but jaw-droppingly powerful notion. Plainly put, God controls everything, we control nothing. The Meshiloch starts with the basic proposition that God is either everything or God is nothing. If we acknowledge the idea of God at all, it necessarily follows that everything, absolutely everything, is under God's authority. Now, so far it's hard to see this theology winning too many popularity contests. It seems to describe a very heavy-handed, authoritarian, and uncompromising image of God. One can't help but feel somewhat suffocated under the weight of God's all-encompassing will. But there's also an upside to losing control. If you can't claim the merit of your good deeds, then neither do you bear the responsibility for your sins. You can't be held accountable for what you've done because that wasn't really you sinning. It was God forcing you. Steal a car? Not me. That was God's idea. Cheated on my spouse? Golly, I, I just can't seem to help myself. Now, of course, the Meishiloch never puts it quite this crudely. His version is more sophisticated. But still, it's fair to say that he is Judaism's most deterministic thinker. Determinism is basically the idea that everything that does happen has to happen neither because of the laws of nature or fate, or in this case, because God willed it to be so. Determinism becomes an important idea in religious philosophy because it seems like a natural extension of God's omnipotence. But it's also a really problematic idea because it seems to do away with the notion of free will. So let's take a look at how it works in the Meishiloach because it's actually in this week's Parsha 
that Rabbi Leiner lays out his big idea most explicitly. We're at a point in the Torah when the children of Israel have been wandering in the desert for decades and things are beginning to fall apart. Last week's Parsha ended with a report that the people had been whoring with the Moabite women and worshipping their god. And if that kind of mass frenzy weren't bad enough, just when the chaos reaches a fever pitch, we read this. Vehine Ishmi b'nei Israel ba, one of the Israelites came and brought a Midianite woman over to his companions in the sight of Moses and the whole congregation of Israel who were crying at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this guy, Zimri, approaches the place where Moses talks to God, arm in arm with his lady, Cosby. Now, the text doesn't exactly say what they do there, but I, I think we can fill in the blanks pretty easily. At that moment, Pinchas, who just can't take the insult to God and to Moses any longer, gets up, takes a spear into his hands, and stabs Cosby and Zimri straight through the belly. El Kavata. Again, you can use your imagination there. So madness, lust, violence, chaos, and finally, a double death. This has not been a good day. That's last week's Parsha, and then our Parsha opens up with Pinchas being honored by God for his brave service. Say therefore that I will give him my covenant of peace, Briti Shalom. It will be for him and his descendants for all time a covenant for the priesthood, because he was zealous for God and atoned for the children of Israel. Hmm, covenant of peace. Seems like a strange way to commemorate someone having just killed two people. I mean, I guess Zimri was a bad guy, so that makes Pinchas the good guy, but it's hard not to leave this scene feeling a little uneasy. Two bodies are lying on the ground and we're having a, a peace ceremony? The whole thing seems a little muddled. And the Meshiloach picks up on some of that ambiguity in a most surprising read of the Cosby Zimri episode. Don't let it occur to you, he says. God forbid that, God, that Zimri was just being lewd. Because God would not have devoted a whole chapter in the Torah just to an incident of lewdness. Rather, there is a secret in all of this. For there are ten levels of indecency. Yud nikudot beznut. The first level is just someone who prepares themselves to deliberately go into a sinful situation. So the person themselves is responsible for dragging their temptation out. But after that, there are nine more levels. And at each level, another bit of a person's free will is taken away so that it becomes more and more difficult for them to escape sin. Until they get to the tenth level. Ad hamadregah hayud which is when someone tries as hard as they can to remove themselves from temptation, but it's just not within their power to control themselves any more than this. At that point, when temptation overpowers them and they perform the act, certainly then this was God's will. 
Well, there you have it. Zimri was innocent. The Meishiloach, in classic form, is helping Zimri plead temporary insanity. He couldn't help it. And not only that, his inability to control himself proves that God wanted him to do it. Wait, though, if, if that's true, how could God have let them be killed? And why does God reward Pinchas for doing it? Doesn't that make Pinchas the villain here? The Meshiloch considers this and concludes, Pinchas in this incident was like a child. He didn't know the depth of the matter. He only saw things from his limited human perspective. But God nevertheless loved him and ruled in his favor because he had done right according to his own understanding and he had put his life on the line out of pure devotion. So God, according to this, just lets Pinchas get away with it. Not because what Pinchas did was right, but because God knows Pinchas was only doing what he thought was right, which is all any of us can ever do. See, it works both ways. If Zimri can't be blamed for his sexual indiscretions, neither can Pinchas be held accountable for his violent tendencies. We're all just the product of our instincts, just carrying out the programming God encoded in us. Well, sometimes, anyway. Remember that there are still nine other levels. The Meshiloch is sometimes read as a pure determinist, but the truth is he acknowledges that we do have free will. In fact, we're probably in control of our choices most of the time. But there are times, precisely those moments when we seem to be most indulgent of our desires, most rapidly driven to sin, that our behavior is so extreme it can no longer be considered the product of a rational mind. And at that point, it's just not our fault. It's God's will. So, that's what the Meishiloach thinks happened to Zimri. However, and now is a good time for a big however. We, we need one because, sure, this kind of theory can be comforting when it's used to excuse us from all our misdeeds. How great it is to just hand the wheel over to God and suddenly be sin-free. But this philosophy also has some more terrifying implications, because determinism allows us to potentially justify any atrocity by just pinning it on God. For every Zimri who can't help what he desires, there's a Pinchas who can't help who he kills. This notion that we're not in control of our own actions could easily serve as the perfect justification for a sociopath. Well, the Meishiloach's most illustrious student, Rabbi Tzadik HaKohen, gives us just the, the however we need. Rabbi Tzadik grew up and studied outside of the Hasidic world, but he came upon the Meishiloach and was so impressed he became an immediate devotee. So most of Rabbi Tzadik's writing bears the strong influence of his master. However, when it comes to the Pinchas and Zimri case, he gives a slightly different ruling. Sometimes a person withstands a trial so great there's no way he cannot sin. And if God has turned his heart this way, 
then this sin is no sin at all, but the will of God. Okay, so far sounds familiar. Sin is flipped into the inevitable column. Human error is now understood to be God's plan. But then Ratzadik ends his comments on a major cautionary note. Aval, however, Adam Atzmo, the person themselves, cannot evaluate their own actions. Because perhaps he did have the strength to withstand temptation. And then he adds, And this is what I understand to have happened with Zimri, who made just this mistake. Rabbi Tzedek Akon agrees that sometimes we're powerless over our desires. He accepts the Meishiloach's ten levels of decreasing freedom of choice, but he adds that we never know which level we're actually on. And while the Meishiloach believes that Zimri had reached the tenth level and lost all self-control, Reb Tzadik Akon thinks there was still a chance for Zimri to stop himself. There was still some measure of free will involved. And so it does count as a sin, and Zimri does deserve to die. We're wrestling here back and forth with one of the greatest paradoxes in all of theology. If God is all-powerful, how can we do anything but what God wills us to do? But if God controls everything we do, then how can God judge our actions? And why should we try to do good at all? And lest we think we can leave this problem to the theologians, this dilemma confronts us in the realm of modern science as well. Because a completely materialistic account of the world is also deterministic. There are no real choices. Our behavior is just the product of our brain chemistry. Again, we simply follow our programming. And there is, on the one hand, something satisfyingly logical about this view of the world. Everything that happens is simply the result of some other cause. Figure out the equation of these combined causes and you could come up with a predictive formula for all of existence. And yet, something feels missing from this account of human behavior. Because, after all, our most basic experience of the world is one of choosing. We feel ourselves to be weighing between various options and struggling to make the right decision. Whatever my brain chemistry or my God wants, I just know that in any given moment, I can go one way or another, move towards good or towards evil. So, is that sensation real? Or am I just deluding myself? The answer is probably a matter of perspective. Both things are true. On some level, we can understand how everything, ourselves included, must simply be moving in reaction to everything else. But at the same time, paradoxically, we just know that we have a choice. Zimri felt compelled to do one thing. Pinchas felt compelled to do the other. The Meshiloach concludes that Zimri had no choice. Tzadaka Cohen thinks that Zimri should have tried harder. So, who's right? What's the moral of the story? Maybe the only possible lesson is that it's not for us to say who's right and who's wrong. 
The world is too complicated and too mysterious. We all just do the best we can. In the end, only God can judge us. And sometimes, even God prefers not to. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tiguet. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.